Okay, and welcome to today's edition of Kenny Island Discs. Kenny Island Discs is the opportunity for a local person to be stranded on Kenny Island, which is a unmapped location somewhere between Anglesey and the Isle of Man, which, by some strange quirk of fate, has a tropical climate and also a very weak broadband signal, which, which enables it to be able to pick up Liverpool Community Radio. Today's guest is someone you may have heard before. Uh, he, he's a musician, singer, songwriter, who was part of a band uh, called Shaq. He was, before that, he was in the Pale Fountains, and now he's in the Radelastic Band. So it's, it, today's guest is Mick Head. Hiya. Right, Mick, you're obviously a local lad. You, you're brought up in the city and everything. Tell us a little bit where about in the city you, you started, your life? Uh, we, in 1971, we came to Kensington from uh, St. Domingo Road in Everton. Um, and we moved on to the estate, which was at the back by the Central Boys Club. It's at the Fidian Estate, isn't the it? The Fidian Estate, yeah. 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 Which was a bit strange at the time because uh, I, at the time, Kenny was like a spine, and one side was the streets that had been there for a hundred years, yeah. if not more. And then there was always like the new kids on the block on the estate, so they all. The streets obviously had friends and family, yeah. you know, who they knew in the other streets. So there was a bit of rivalry. It was a bit more than rivalry, actually. They hated each other with the demon vengeance. Yeah, I mean. yeah. But then, ultimately, you know, we all became as one life. So what was it, what was it like growing up in the area? I, it was great. It was a bit weird at first uh, because it was new. And, you know, it's the same as anything. New school, new area. You know, it was... a. Uh, it's tricky to get, you know, and when you're only 12, it's a bit weird finding your feet in that. But I went to um, Our Lady Immaculate on St. Domingo Road, and then went to, when we moved to Kenny, went to Queen of All Saints on Townsend Lane. So kind of used to get the bus to school. Yeah. So what was your school life like? What, what did what did you like doing at school, or what didn't you like doing at school? Um, really wasn't in that much. Um, uh don't know, I, I used to stay at home a lot, but my mum used to like uh, the company. So yeah. if I sacked school and she called me, yeah. I'd get the smack and then we'd watch a movie. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So um, I spent a lot of time at home, self-taught in a way. So what was the what was the head family? What did it consist of at the time? Who, who was in the family? Uh, just me, our John, my brother, Joanne, my sister, and my mum and dad. You, you know, typical, you know, three kids, estate, family. My mum was a cleaner. Um, and my dad worked in the fruit and veg down Prescott Road, wholesale fruit and veg. Yeah. Who, who do you think influenced influenced you most when when you were growing up? Um, I personally say didn't. We we never owned like a Beatles or a Stones album in the house, so I didn't get hear like say Revolver or I still haven't heard all the White album. But I, uh, you know, I'd say to my mates like, "Who's this?" And they'd go the Beatles, and I'd say, "What albums that on?" They go, "You're joking." And I'd say, well, no, I haven't heard Revolver. And they'd say, well, it's great. And I'd say, OK, well, when I... So they were saying, well, what did you listen to when you were growing up? And I'd say, well, Hank Williams, Frankie Lane, Johnny Cash. Because that's all that was in the record collection. And so I just thought that was the norm. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of country and western. So was, my dad was into that. My mum was into Sinatra, the crooners, I suppose. Yeah. Matt Monroe. So I've got a... Bit of a mix. My dad was a bit of a teddy boy, so I got that, and my mum was more, well, she loves Sinatra, so I got best of both worlds there. So, you're in school, so your teenage Mick Head's in school. What 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 was interesting to you at the time? Was it football? Was it music? Was it girls? Was it... Yeah, yeah 
footy, uh, played for the school team, uh, played for uh, St. Domingo, then Kenny, played for Kenny, um, Kenny Fields, I think they were called at the time. Um, and music, yeah. My dad, by mistake, got me into Bowie early, like 1972 or three. He bought me Aladdin Sane, which was totally out of character because he really doesn't like, didn't like David Bowie, you know what I mean? And, uh, but it was it was a great fluke in a way, because uh, you know from then on it was like Bowie was like the the, the benchmark in a way, and it was like it's great. Um, I think that the album he got after that was Gary Glitter, which was obviously terrible. But my dad thought it was in the same vein, yeah. and it wasn't. Uh, so um, yeah, just a lot of that uh, footy, obviously being brought up in Everton, but my dad got the choice of the footy team. Uh, my mum got the choice of religion, so I'm a Catholic Liverpoolian. So what's the first record we're going to listen to? The first one is I Had Too Much to Dream Last Night by the Electric Prunes. It's probably one of the first psychedelic songs that I heard that literally, well, when I say literally, it, it blew my mind. It, you know, um, it, you know it, it's the epitome of psychedelia, I think, or, you know, You'll get pure, it's say, don't be daft. But I think it is. Okay, let's play that. Yeah. 
it, it seems sort of a bit of a sort of uh, ambiguity, really. The, you know, West Coast yeah. West Coast psychedelia is appealing to a, a 15, 16-year-old in Kensington. What, what, what did that sort of say to you at the time? Um, I don't know. I'd, me mate, uh, York, you lived in, where, where you're from now, Fairfield, um, he, he basically had a house in uh, Prospect Vale, and the teardrop explodes, and the Bunnymen used to rehearse there. So his musical knowledge was vast, and he just used to play me, which was great, play me all the songs that he'd got played by, say, Julian or Mach or the other members of the bands. So I was like his sounding board as well, and he, you know, he'd put me onto good stuff. A lot of it was good, but a lot of it was terrible. Electric prunes. Uh, when he played me, it went home. I you know, said to our John, you've got to hear this. You know, it's like, it's not Hank Lachlan. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I don't know. It, I was int- it, My mind was starting to get into, like, different states of consciousness at an early age, you know. Um, I didn't smoke ciggy, so, like, pot was out. Um, I thought, piece of cardboard in the form of a, a trip, you know what I mean? And I kind of... Yeah, made a lot of sense, the uh, piece of cardboard on the song. So so what was the first thing you did when you left school? Um, I, go, I went straight to be a tea boy in town. Uh, and funnily enough, that's how I basically got into guitar because um, I was obviously interested in music, couldn't play guitar, didn't have a guitar. Uh, just started work, so my money that I was getting in work was going on togs and you know, um, and it was punk, you know, 1977, uh, and I had punkish clothes on, if you like, uh, getting towards, you know, after punk, more weirdos, they used to call me on Kenny, they'd be like, are you a mod, a punk or a weirdo? I suppose I'm a weirdo, because I'm not one of them, you know what I mean? But uh, the fella in work said, you're into punk, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, will you do me a favour? And, you know, he, he, I said, if I can. And he said, in your lunch hour, will you go to that punk shop and get me a punk album? And I said, and he said, and if you get it for me, you can have that guitar in the corner. I was like, yeah, um, no problem. And I said, what's the album? And he said, it's something to swing by, die straight. And I said, I'm not buying that for you. And um, he said, why? And I said, oh, I'm just not buying it. Do you know what I mean? So he said, you don't you want the guitar? And I said, I want the guitar, but I'm not buying that. So he said, no guitar. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll buy the album. So I didn't go to Pro, but went to Woolies. And I think there was a Woolies somewhere really far away. So I got it there. Uh, and he gave me the guitar, one string on. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's what I was doing when I started work. Got to get togs. And uh, by fluke, got a guitar. So what was the job you were doing? I was a T-boy in a, in a typewriter repair factory in, in Taiwan Street. Um, the Peggy, they used to call them. And it was, in, it was in them days, just on the cusp of like where the youngsters were still getting um, initiation ceremonies and that. So it was the, you know, the, the young lad who was, used to be the T-boy. You know, obviously he wanted their revenge, and, you know, so... So, yeah, it was uh, a bit weird, really. Yeah. So, so you, got, you got the guitar and, yeah. and, and you sort of... What, what, what was the first step you took when you got the guitar? What was... You know, because it's... You know, the, the, the world is strewn with unused guitars in the yeah. teenagers. So 
What made you sort of make this jump from this one string guitar that someone had given to you for a yeah. favour to actually bother into learning? Um, I, I, without having the one string, I still to this day would ask our John to string the guitar up, you know what I mean? Because he just looks and goes, oh, you're doing it wrong, you know what I mean? But uh, I, with the one string, if I was learning someone how to play guitar now, I would say to them, take all the strings off and just have one string on. Because I've heard so many people who've got frustrated with the fact that it's all about coordination. And I, I've used the word three times, I think, fluke, and it's all, it has all been a fluke, actually. Um, I haven't intentionally gone into... I didn't leave school and say, right, I'm going to be a guitarist and I'm going to write songs. It literally just fell into that. Um, I would actually say, to take all the strings off, just leave the one on. And what you do is you just... This hand is important, you're, unless you're left-handed or right-handed. Um, and I, I was just going up and down the neck with one string. But this hand, going up and down the neck, you get rhythm. And and it's important. And people get frustrated when they have six strings on and they learn the chords. They can't really get the coordination between the right hand and the left hand. But if you take all the strings off and you just use one string and you play for a couple of weeks, just using, going up and down the neck, which is easy, just using your one hand, you get the rhythm. So when you start using your other hand for the chords, it's it's like it all fits in together. In a way, you know what I mean? It's That's what I, that's what I found anyway. And, um, so I, I was just, that's how I learned to, in, to get into that life. Okay, let's go on to the second track. Uh, God bless the child, Billy Holiday. I love Billie Holiday, I love the the, the lyrics and the emotion. Um, I, I think it's a, a song about hope and, and belief. Yeah, hope and belief. Them that's got shall have, them that's not shall lose. So the Bible said, and it still is news. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. Yes, the strong gets more While the weak ones fade Empty pockets don't Ever make the grade Mama may have Papa may have But God bless the child That's got his own that's got his own Such 
You can help yourself, but don't take too much. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. got this image of uh, the young Mick head okay. in the in the bedroom with the one string guitar <laughs> plugging away was there any sort of inner ambition to to take this further or you were just experimenting I was experimenting because I didn't actually ever string the guitar up for about another I don't know 10 years or something because um when I was a t-boy um I see I'd seen this program uh, so it goes, Tony Wilson. Teardrop, teardrop explodes were on there, and uh, it blew me away. Um, and I seen the lad from the Teardrop Explodes, the keyboard player, the next day in town. And being, as my ma used to say, an inquisitive little so and so, I went up to him and said, You were boss last night on the telly. And I had similar togs on to him, and he said, Are you into music? And I said, of course, I, yeah, I loved you last night. And he said, can you play an instrument? And I said, no. And he said, can you sing? And I said, yeah. And uh, he told me about Yorkie and Prospect Vale. And he said, um, he's forming a band. They use our equipment uh, at the weekends. So here's his number. So I phoned him up. And the next step wasn't actually carrying on with the guitar. I became the singer, playing the keyboard with one finger. So... Um, I became a, yeah, an organist, uh, and done that until like, because uh, in them days, nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, you could actually get away with a lot of the songs, music that time. I think chords were really on. Well, one it's, one it's finger a, did it. It's a bit of a punk aesthetic, yeah. though, isn't it? It was the idea was that you know if you got too good, you left the band. There you go. Yeah, you it's know what jazz. I mean? Yeah. So what was that band called that you, that you joined? We were called Hoho Bacteria, uh, and and uh, then we, we were 
we were Ho-Ho Bacteria and then we changed it because we got a new guitarist. Uh, he said, I can't join the band. I'm going, I'm going to my auntie's in uh, Devon. And we said, OK. And, he said, and we said, well, we're going to get a new name for the band by the time you get back. And he said, um, sorry about that. He said, uh, OK, so we waited for him to get back. And when he got back, he was fascinated with this ring that he'd got. Yeah. And he said, uh, look at this Egyptian ring I got from Devon. So me and York, he looked at each other and said, well, the new name for the band is Jerry's Egyptian ring from Devon. Do you know what I mean? And it just it was perfect, you know what I mean? So we were Jerry's Egyptian ring from Devon for quite a while. So what was what was the music scene like in Liverpool then? What what, what sort of places were you playing and, and how often were you playing and who were you playing with? Yeah, uh, we played in Brady's, which was just started just after Eric's on the Lincoln's Inn. Um, Kirkland's was our first gig, I think, and uh, the Warehouse. Um and at the time he was I was going to thought I was exaggerating then but there was hundreds of bands around he used to get um, the the the, uh, the what's it called you know the gig lists you know like 051 Malchicks or you know just Nightmares in Wax just hundreds and hundreds of bands and you know uh, me and Biffa we were thinking like you know we really need to jump the queue here do you know what I mean and you know, so uh, we, we decided to uh, you know, become how we're going to get from on that poster. Do you know what I mean? So that was the next step, really. So you're actually writing the material at this time, or just performing? No, I, I, I was starting to write. Uh, we basically needed some lyrics, and we decided one of us should write some. So I foolishly. <laughs> came in the next day with some and they seemed to like them and, uh, which was really good really because it, I don't think I've been as nervous ever in, in my you know obviously situations in your life you, you're nervous like but that seemed to me at the time like I was putting my soul on the line and uh, and they were from Kenny so like there was no mistakes you know what I mean it had to be I, it could have went two ways, you know what I mean? They could have just laughed me out of the place. Did you feel comfortable about doing that in front of other people, though, because of your friends, or was it still a massive, massive step? Completely uncomfortable, and it was a massive, like, because, uh, I don't know, I'd never done anything like that before, and I think it's human nature when you're doing something bare and some, if you think you've got something creative within yourself, it comes from within, doesn't it? And a lot of us don't like showing what's inside, and especially if you're trying to get put it in an emotional format, like a song. Um, you're giving, putting something out there that you wouldn't normally possibly share with people. So what was it like not being rejected? Because obviously the, what you're talking about, there's a fear of rejection, aren't you? Yeah. Right, by your peers. What was, what was the feeling like when you didn't get rejected and people went, well, that's all right, you know? Yeah. Well, what did that do to you? I... Well, all the nights, and thought to myself, I'm a songwriter. Um, and that, um, you know, the plan was to, we had an idea. I was, the one finger keyboard, Biffo was on bass, Nicky was on keyboards. Um, no, 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 I was just singing by this stage. I was, uh, yeah, just, and we had a keyboard player. Um, cut a long story short, uh, the, one of them said, we were all supposed to go home and do some lyrics the next day, so I went to, we all went to work, because everyone had jobs in the late 70s, well, not everyone, like, but you, you could still get a, a YOP, a YOP, or something like that. 
Um, and, you know, one lad said, ah, you know, like, what does it mean? But the other one said, I liked it. And I thought, what that really... I just thought, you know, he, he could have turned around and uh, maybe next time or we'll give it another go or I'll help you or we can do it together or we can work something out or we'll hire someone. <laughs> but he went, I liked it. And I just got this installation within myself of belief. You know, I just thought, yeah. oh, God, all that worrying. I'm not saying all that worrying was for nothing, but it was worth it. Yeah. Okay, what's, thought, yeah. go on, what's the next record? Um, the next one is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. I love Brian Wilson and it's just such a powerful song. Um, I love the production. Personally, I think it's one of the greatest uh, songs ever written. There you are. It's what we're in about 1980 now, something like that. There's a, there's a fairly active music scene in Liverpool. You've got a sort of hint of ambition, haven't you? And you've got this this new newfound spirit for lyric writing. Okay, how long did the, 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 that band, the Egyptian Ring band, go on for? Uh, we went on for till we had various name changes, uh, and then we decided. Uh, 
we decided to go our separate ways and I moved back to Kenya, wanted to get a guitar, I wanted to start writing my own songs. Um, I'd been messing around on guitars and thought, you know, I'd got that started. When I met Biffa, uh, you know, on Kenny, I'd had forever changes off Yorkie and uh, I'd seen him on Kenny and we both had similar clothes and we didn't know each other but we used to nod to each other as you did and if like uh, appreciation of togs or shoes or an haircut or something do you know what I mean and I thought you know he and I'd heard that he was into music and I'd heard that he was learning to play bass and I'd heard that he was rehearsing in the seldom in the cellar at the weekend you know when it was uh, stay behind when it was in them hours when the pub shut in the afternoons so I thought I don't know what possessed me. I just went round to his house with forever changes. I'd never really spoke to him, and I thought, see if he likes it, and he plays bass, and gets to know, you know, see, see if he... He might just keep it, not return. He might, and through to form, a few days later, knocked at the house on, the, on my mum's, on, on the Fidian, and I loved it, amazing. Come in, cup of tea, started chatting, and... Uh, that was it. We, we were uh, the Love Fountains. And, you know, from then we uh, evolved into the Paleys. Okay, so the Pale Fountains, this was probably the first first big success that you had. Yeah, uh, well, we, I don't know, we, we weren't really, we thought we were, you know, we could, we thought we were really good. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it was exciting. We didn't have like a blueprint or or a, or a plan, uh, and we were different to a lot of the bands that were around, and and we did things differently because when we were looking at that poster with all the bands, we thought we really need to either get close to the top of that or or swerve it. And and Biffa was great at presentation, and we were both quite good at it actually. We had we, we bounced off each other with ideas. And we had the, this idea for a poster, uh, which was basically the Swiss flag reversed, but it was striking. And the amount of people that said to me that they got off the bus just to see what the poster was about, you know what I mean? Because it really got your eye. And uh, we just kind of went like as though we were... The poster said we were bigger than what we, sh- we, we really were. And it was like a, a, a great bit of a... What's the word? By Biffa, a stroke of uh, genius by Biffa in a way, do you know what I mean? Because people, serendipity, yeah, yeah just, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it, it was, it, you know, and then I, I think it's, it's people's perception of you, then you know what I mean? We, as I say, we did not, we, we weren't ramming things down people's throats, but in a subtle way, people started taking notice and without uh, actually saying anything. Now, as I've said, I always think less said the better sometimes, you know what I mean? And uh. But, so, but did you, know, you have the chops to sort of meet meet people's expectations? Because obviously you're saying you're building up people's expectations here. Did, yeah. did, did you feel that you you were sort of growing musically, uh, yeah. lyric wise and music wise to fill those expectations? Yeah, I didn't let it kind of like cloud anything because that age, you're just on a mission, aren't you? you, you um, and we didn't really. You know, if anyone started messing with us, we just used to put the shutters up over head games, or you know, we, we, it was just us. It wasn't us, you know. It wasn't like a us against the world thing. It was just, it was just us. And, and uh, you know, we, we 
did our thing, you know. So I personally found it exciting, and and yet, you know, our first gig, there was people from other bands coming to see us, which was unheard of, really. Um, you know, big bands and that. And, uh, but there was never, I never felt any pressure. I just thought, because I never, I just, I just wrote to my capabilities, and I had the Don, you know, Arthur Lee. Uh, uh, you know, he was, he was like, he still is, you know, my hero or one of my heroes, if you like, uh, uh, you know, as a human being. Um, so I was just completely, uh, not obsessed, but inspired. Um, and so, and luckily for me, um, I, I, you know, I, I was starting to get good at it and my ideas were getting more towards, I was getting a bit too, not big for my boots, but I thought I could actually... I started believing in myself. I was a songwriter, so now it's put, that time to put my money where my mouth is. And when you start doing that, you you know it makes you instill something in you. To uh, so you're getting like the, the you know you, you want to do it. You're getting that kind of a. Uh, come on, you you got to kick in now. But also, that fires your creativity as well. So it was like a couple of things going on at the time that, for me personally. Thought, yeah, we we can we can do this, and and it was it was only for me. I, I knew I was getting better all the time, personally, because I was getting more, um, what's the word, more adventurous with my, with my songwriting. Um, it's only after a while when I thought to myself, right, you really need to think about your lyrics. You know what I mean? More because obviously, you know, let. When I, there was a time when I thought to myself, right, you're crafting these songs, um, and, and I needed to, instead of just being like uh, music and lyrics, they needed to be songs, and uh, so I, I, I enjoyed formulating them, you know. Okay, so let's move on to the next record then, which is record number four. It's Karen Dalton, something on my mind.
So we're back. It's the 1980s. You know, it's it's the sort of floppy haircuts. It's <laughs> you know, uh, what? How, how did the jump from being like big in Liverpool to getting a record contract and being, you know, being a chart band go? How did that all happen? Because um, there was no sort of X factors or no, no. anything like that then, was there? It, it's still to this day. Um, as I say, we did we, we didn't have a blueprint, and it was still quite surprising when when, when like the. In fact, it wasn't surprising because we were just going along with it, and and people were actually saying, "Hold on a minute," you you know you, you we we were not even on that list twelve months ago, and I don't know people were seeing things in us that we didn't really know we had. People were seeing a lot of potential. We were just doing what we were doing. What as good we, we were as good as our capabilities, but getting better all the time. And uh, you know, people people started uh, like a lot of word of mouth was going round. I think the togs helped. You know what I mean? Uh, not that we had any set image. You know, people had different variations on uh, our image and things like that. You know, like there was one Baden Powell thing. But me and Biff had always used to say like we were we used to dress like lorry drivers in the fifties, like hell drivers and that. You know what I mean? That was that was our thing. Them togs. You know what I mean? It's a great film. Yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> movie. Isn't it? So it's Patrick McGoon. Um So um, I, I, I think when the labels, you know, there, there was a couple of independent labels who were interested in uh, rough trade and. It, it, it was it was a confusing time for bands because, you know, if if a major label came sniffing round, apparently you were selling out. Uh, and so everybody had we never, we, you know, it was all about personal politics at the time. We, we, we never really go out and ram things down people's throats. Did you have a manager? Not really, no. Yeah. We, so we're doing all this sort of yeah, you know, off the cuff really. Yeah, we the man the manager we had was a girl called Pam. Who was a friend? We just—it's not that we didn't trust anyone. We just wanted someone from Liverpool. In fact, she's from Sheffield, but she she, she used to run Zoo Records, um, and we thought we know Pam. She knows her stuff. She's been in the industry, so um, yeah, you know, we we we, we got uh, Pam down. Um, so you know a lot of labels would come round and I think Rough Trade offered us £30 a week and a new guitar and Virgin offered us what they offered and then there was other labels coming in and it wasn't a fact that it wasn't nothing to do with the money it was just like we can do this for you we've heard your songs you want an orchestra you're saying yeah well we can do that uh, where you live we can do this and it, it was just made a lot of sense and you know the publishing company were they, they were saying like let's be realistic you you're not going to do like these songs with your orchestration and your, your Scott Walker and your you know your uh, 60s orchestral ideas that you've got your Bacharach and all that like you know so uh they they just fought it out with themselves the majors and uh we kind of went along with it and i don't know it, it was a bit of a bad move when we signed to Virgin, really. Yeah. So how long were you with Virgin for? Um, only a, about three years. It, it was unfortunate because all the, all the major labels that we've seen, I mean, Rough Trade, we, you know, we, I, I was 
brought up with postcards and kitchenware and rough trade and all you know the indie labels. Um, but all the major labels that we were going to interviews with, it was just full of knobheads for one to a, just, you know. yeah. um, and you know it just you know people call Lucian with pink rimmed glasses on and saying like oh I love that song and uh, and I love that other one you know he, he'd say something like it was ridiculous he'd say um, you've got three songs there we like the chorus of the third of the third one. But if you take that lovely little middle eight from that song, I think we've got a hit. And me and Biffa would just looked at each other and we were like that, like, you're off your head, mate. Do you know what I mean? They're songs. You can't dissect three of our ideas, you know what I mean? So the most sensible and realistic fella who we met was from Virgin. It was a lad called Rob. And he was at the same togs on as us. He was, in, he was into footy. He was spares. So we forgave him for that. And... Um, he made a lot of sense, and, and you know, he, he said, you know, come down to Virgin, meet them. It's, you know, so we went down, and we liked him. It was different than the, although they were a major label, it was kind of had a different atmosphere. It was they were still clinging on to their independent roots to an extent, which is fair enough. Um, but unfortunately, he had all the great ideas. Yeah, we can get you the orchestra and this, that, and the other. He left after a month, if not, if not less. So we were back to Eleusians within Virgin. So it was back to square one in a way. And that was a bit of a struggle because as much as this lad Rob got it where we were going, I don't think anyone was doing that kind of thing. There was more the people who didn't get it. Didn't there was more yeah. people that didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, quite. Okay, so what's the next record? It's record number five. The next one is Gather Round by Love.
So what what led to the sort of demise of the Pale Fountains? What was the sort of background yeah. to that? Um, well, when Virgin were getting a bit, it was in the days where we were from Kenny. There was me, Jock, Biffa, and then our John was in the band. And because it was the 80s and everyone was technology, you know, it was, we, we were around Peg, in a, you know, trying to get into the square hole, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and we got it, and we 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 thought it's there, you know. Pe- you know, people will get it, but they were saying like, you know, you need to be more proficient uh, with with your playing. Cut a long story short, they basically said we're going to get session session musicians in. We'll keep you being the songwriter and the singer. I don't think they were even going to use me for guitar. I just told them to do one, you know what I mean? Uh, came back to Liverpool. We were a bit disillusioned. Uh, had a bit of a break. And then, ultimately, just went our separate ways, and that was it, really. So what was the sort of timescale between the end of the Pale Fountains and the beginning of Shaq? Shaq was the next next, yeah. next iteration of, of your yeah. songwriting career, yeah? Yeah, about two years. Yeah. No, about a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before, it it took longer to find a name for the band than, than the gap between the Paley's and Shaq. It's just that one where, uh, you know, it, you go into the name world, someone says something and you go, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And you're just thinking of names for the band and in the end it just gets, just like Jerry's Egyptian ring from Devon, it just gets a bit silly. So where did Shaq come from? Was the, what was the origin of the name Shaq? Do you know what? In the end, it was all about a picture, and we'd, we'd gone through, I was going to say hundreds, but it was thousands of ideas. You know, we were stopping people saying this, you know. And, uh, it went nuts. Uh, some great ones. And, and in the end, it was just, it was a nothing name in the way. It was just something that was uh, memorable, I suppose, to an extent, short and sweet. Didn't have any meaning. Uh, you know, like... Uh, I think a lot of people did put a lot of thought into the meaning, which is fair enough. Uh, that's why we changed from the love fountains because a lot of people come up saying like, "You just think you love," <laughs> so so yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, Shaq's Shaq's now in existence. Yeah. What was what was the aspirations to begin with when you started Shaq? Um, was there a sort of different sort of you've been, you've been through the sort of machine, hadn't you? You know, you've been yeah. through the sort of. The record producing machine, the, you know, the record yeah. companies. Did you have a sort of a different idea of what you were going to do? Yeah, it was. 
I, I, because um, I come back from London, um, the ba- you know we've been living in each, in each other's pockets for five years, hotels, you know, or four years. Um, so I got a flat on my own, and uh, uh, when we come back to Liverpool, uh, I got a flat for the first time on my own because I went from my mum's to the Columbia. You know what I mean? From like living on on the Fidian Estate to the Bayswater Road and that, like, which was, which is great. But then you know, reality we kicked in, which was great as well. Back to Liverpool, uh, got my own flat down the South End. Uh, as I say, I don't, I didn't smoke ciggies, but I discovered. Are we all right talking pot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Didn't smoke ciggies, so like I discovered Bush, uh, and Teletext had just come out, so like. Bush and Teletext uh, basically transformed my life. Um, and, I don't know, it just started, uh, I don't know, different mindset, different state of consciousness, I suppose, different... It was exciting, to tell you the truth. And you're working more closely with your brother as well. Yeah. So what, what sort of the relationship was like in the, in the band with the two of you? Was it was a sort of... Was there any sort of sibling rivalry or was it sibling support? Uh, not... There hasn't really ever been any sibling rivalry. Uh, support, uh, yeah. Uh, always. I mean, we, we we learn together. You know, John's far more proficient on the guitar than me. I'm great at rhythm. John's can do. You know, he's a brilliant, amazing guitarist. Uh, so we've just supported each other. Uh, I got inspired by him. You know, hopefully he'd get inspired by me with the songwriting and things like that. So it's always been supportive. There was never. I mean, for, if there's any, I always had this thing with, with anyone in the band. If they, I'd have to pull them aside and say like, "Well, are you happy?" And you know, if you're being disruptive, you may as well do one. So if there's any any of that, you, you just do the common sense thing. Sit down and have a chat. Do you know what I mean? There's never been any of that because it's pointless in it. Why be in a band in a in a in a? And I've been in bands where it where it's uh, not a very good environment, and it's time to. Uh, Put your sticks away or something. So, what what year did did the shack actually start? What was the starting point of it? Uh, I'd say eighty eight. Yeah, uh, eighty seven, eighty-eight. And what was the first first album that you did? Silch. And how was that received? Um, I don't know. It was good. Um, obviously, it didn't do what. Uh, what everybody wanted and expected it to do, which was, you know, be um, in the charts, you know. Uh, so we, as I say, we never had a blueprint. We were just doing what we did, writing songs. Luckily for us, because you know we, we've we've always kind of like just kind of, you know, this is it. This is what we do. And if you're interested, great. If you're not, we'll move on. So. Um, was the, was the lack of success going, or were you getting enough sort of fan reaction from it? Um, no, it, it God, we, we, it's never been a a monetary thing for me, or or like a, a success thing. On for me, it's about writing the songs, and um, it's if people like them, that's it. It's I'm not trying to, uh, and that's that's about the size of it, really. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's we write songs, and if you like them, that's great. I can, I'm playing songs at home in the house. Uh, when people say to me, like, uh, I'm, you know, 
I love that song or, 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 or like say at a gig or something like that someone shouts something obscure a song that uh, uh, you know that's uh, well obviously it's amazing because it's another human being um, sh- giving you respect for something creative that you've done it, 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 that, that's, a, an, that's a lot for me you know yeah. what I mean yeah. and uh, I, th- I think that the, the success thing if you like was more important to other people it's never really been an issue for me and um, I don't know. You could really dig deep if you want and say, "Well, that's a, a, a convenient safety net." If you want, that's my prerogative. Okay, let's go on to record number six. Okay, it's um, the Velvet Underground Sunday Morning. Just a restless feeling by my side. Early dawning, Sunday morning. It's just the wasted years so close behind. Watch out, the world's behind. Always someone around you who will call It's nothing at all Sunday morning And I'm falling I've got a feeling I don't want to I think that you can see the sort of the DNA of the Velvet Underground in in, yeah. in the band in, in Shaq mm-hmm. particular. Um, so let, let's let's sort of jump ahead a bit, really, and go through Shaq quite quickly. So, how, how long did Shaq last for, and what was what was the sort of you know the seismic changes at the end that, that, that shook it to bits? Um, 
Yeah, uh, thing. Well, I don't know. I, I suppose we we just a lot of oh God, a lot of uh, a lot of drugs uh, helped and got in the way, uh, and I think we'd. It was time for a change. The record company. Yeah, I, I, I personally wasn't in a good way for Shaq to carry on, so we just kind of like disintegrated. Really, is that is that through the drugs? Is it you yeah, talking I'd about? Say so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Realistically, um, um, yeah. Was it was that a personal choice to sort of withdraw, or, or, or was it that you weren't cutting it? What 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 do you feel uh, about that? Withdraw from the back from Shaq. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I thought we we were the best band in the world. Um, at the time, you know, as, as you do, it was not about other people's perception of us. I don't mean to sound, but um, you know, you just—it was nothing to do. I just thought, like, what we were doing was uh, was fantastic. It just got a bit messy with uh, with with drugs, but um, you know, the music was. Uh, it was never really a. No, it wasn't a case of like getting disillusioned or anything, or, or like not enough. We're not getting the the success we never really craved it, or thought we we deserved it, or or we earned it, and things like that. It, was, it literally was just we, we, day by day with with uh, with our bands really. So how how low did that go on a personal and professional? Uh, I think, uh, uh, well, I, my mum was dying at the time and I just got banged into the gear. And so that was my lowest ebb. Not because my mum was dying, I was already into the gear, but um, it was a coping mechanism in a way. And, um, call it weak, call it what you want really, but um, I initially got into, into heroin as a lot of so-called creative people do, thinking it's rom- well, not romantic, but you know, for for different reasons, um, and it, that's all rubbish, really, because it just takes over quite quick. The honeymoon periods, you know, that creative, um, as someone once said, that creative nirvana um, doesn't exist. It does to an extent, but it's short, and. Uh, Every, I was just doing everyone's head in, as as junkies do. I think I think they do do a lot of people closer than Zed did. Yeah. And if you haven't done their head in, there's an opportunity to to do their head in by asking them for money or something. Okay, so Shaq's Shaq's finished. Shaq's wound up. What happened next? Um, I just went and uh, on my own, really, right? Just. We all went our separate ways again, uh, and I just started writing on my own. Uh, started writing screenplays, ideas. I'm always doing things like that. So, uh, and I'm always writing songs. So, the it, it's just the name's always just another uh, vehicle in a way for the songs. Let's go on to track number seven. This is Flamin' by Sid Barrett. I think he's uh, probably one of the 
greatest songwriters uh, ever, personally. Uh, for me personally, what gets me about uh, the the Sid Barrett stuff especially is there was nothing like it before. Um, and I don't think there's much like it after either. But it was for, it's something that you'll probably never hear again or if anyone tries to attempt it I don't think they're going to pull it off I've tried it's not it's not possible um, just his mindset at the time uh, just blew me away it's everything that when the doors of perception do open you you get the distance alarm clocks going off down a corridor that really works you know what I mean cuckoos in the distance really work little bells it's just you, you actually, it absorbs you. It, you you actually get what he was thinking of at that time musically he, he's put it to music brilliantly and you, you get it and you feel like saying like oh, oh I see what you're saying yeah wow <laughs> A 
Okay, so let's let's sort of bring it more up to date now. You 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 know, I I saw you a couple of months ago in the Flory. God save the Flory. Yeah. Um, great performance. Thank I'm not, you. Not just saying that. No, thanks. It was a great performance. Nice one. I don't go out that much off that that, <laughs> that much, but when I do, I seem to pick uh, good gigs. What what was it like coming back to the Flory? It was great. Yeah. Oh, he's got the T-shirt on as well, folks. <laughs> doesn't work very well on radio, that man. <laughs> I knew you'd say that, though. Is there any left? <laughs> yeah, I've got them. Oh, I might, I might tap off one later. So, what was it like that night? Because, I, 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 you know... Okay, so, I got the impression when I saw you at the floor, you were a bit nervous when you walked on. Yeah. What was that? Um, I think it was probably one of the few times I'd been on stage, uh, straight, uh, in fact, it was the second time. The other one was in Tokyo, a long time ago. Um, and I, you know, as uh, Roy Keane says, he says if you, if you don't get nervous before in, when you're in before a match, you may as well pack in. And I always went. I, I didn't put it down as nerves. It's more anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but it was nerves as well. You know what I mean? I think that's a. Uh, uh, Rubbish when, when people say, uh, what, what, what someone said to me, um, oh, he said something about nerves. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was rubbish. Yeah, you, people do get nervous. I, I, I was nervous, yeah. It's home crowd as well, wasn't it? Yeah. I it, it, was, uh, it was, I was just nervous. I don't know. I, just, uh, I do get nervous before yeah. e- even a. Uh, if I always get nervous, yeah. Once I'm on stage, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but it's the waiting round, I think. And the, uh, I'm not nervous about like if I'm going to be good or bad. That's just like that's just happens. That's in the, in the gods. You know what I mean? But uh, it's more just the anxiety waiting round, really. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing you'd, you'd, you'd probably solve with the drink, but you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. 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 So so does that? Yeah. Yeah. I've tried lollipops and uh, chewy. Doesn't work. Just to do, you know, to yeah. get uh, food doesn't work. Okay, let's go into track number eight. You find okay. the track. Uh, wire outdoor miner.
Okay, you've had your eight tracks, okay, and you, we're suspending you, we're, we're stranding you on uh, Kenny Island. Um, how practical are you? How, how, how do you think you'd get on? A, being on your own, and B, sort of sorting your shelter out and all that? Uh, I've just moved into a flat on my own, and right. I'm doing all right. Okay, so yeah. better DIYs is not, not be on you, so no, okay. So if there was a tsunami, which of the eight tracks would you, would you save? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, with Billy Holiday uh, because I, I would after all that psychedelia and a different state of consciousness. I'd really need to get my feet on the ground, a bit of reality. Yeah. So I'd save that just to set me straight. Okay, we give you the Bible and we give you the work Shakespeare, complete works of Shakespeare. So, what other book would you take with you? Oh, okay. Uh, um, well, I, I'm gonna have to say. Uh, okay, I, I I would have to say. Uh, the I, I love F. Scott Fitzgerald, so I'm gonna say the Pat Hobby stories. They're not as famous, you know. It's, yeah. 
it's, it's not the Gatsby, but it's... No, yeah. it's... He's, a, he's an amazing writer, I think. And also, what luxury object would you take with you? Um, I was going to say guitar, but it's going to have to be a machete. Okay. <laughs> so you plan on making the guitar out of it, yeah? I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm, co- coconut fibres make good strings, apparently. So got, believe, yeah. So you've got it boxed off. And I can kill things. And you only have to do one string as well to start yeah, off there with. You go. Okay, so. For survival. Mick Head, thanks for being there. Uh, Strandy on Kenny Island. It's right, it's been fantastic, mate. It's right.